Hello. Many regards and uh, a lovely new year start uh, to all my listeners. Uh, I know I have been uh, quiet for a while. This is my 11th episode and I'm really, really excited to um, welcome my guest Felix now for the third time. You may remember him from episodes uh, like God Apparently, where we talked about um, intergenerational trauma and God as a parent. And uh, our first episode was about the Holy Communion and yeah, uh, sharing bread with one another. And yeah, hi Felix. Hi, I'm happy to be your guest again. I'm not sure if I'm now leading the counter of attendance in your podcast but uh let me think i think i did do yeah avery and i we did three episodes as well so you're like okay (laughs) anyways i'm i'm happy to be here and uh i'm also happy that the last week we were able to celebrate our first holy communion together yeah after talking about it yeah uh, exactly. You as a vicar, like pastor in training, and uh, with a really um, uh, uh, beautiful service following all COVID instructions, still being able to have communion. Yes. And the topic, uh, my, my pitch, or my, my, the topic I want to present uh, to you, Felix, and to my listeners in this episode uh, is about um, hierarchy the uh, role of hierarchy in the Bible, the view that biblical stories take on hierarchy, how, um, how it gets inverted all the time, um, the role that hierarchy plays for autistic people and their relationship to non-autistic people and to society, and the connection or the uh, relationship that, that disabled people have with hierarchy, especially when it comes to um, being dependent on other people and, for example, being dependent on assistant workers and how, how what that does to, to hierarchical systems that we know. It's a lot. So uh, we're going to, we decided to first kind of ramble about biblical stories and anecdotes where hierarchy is inverted and is there is kind of a contrast between um, like the human uh, or societal order and divine um, order of how things should be, how human relations should be. And after that, we're going to read two Bible passages specifically about uh, concerning the topic of hierarchy. And then we're kind of going to discuss until we decide the episode is too long. So, yeah, would you like to, to start with stories that come to mind? When you think about hierarchy, yeah, I think uh, maybe as first, it's important to stress that the Bible is full of hierarchy and uh, is a book which is written in uh, ancient hierarchies, mm-hmm. and they are uh, reflected in many different ways. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's also confirmed that hierarchies are confirmed. But mm-hmm. um, I think the the interesting part of the Bible is that in uh, a lot of times hierarchies are uh, inverted or are questioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree that we can't just um, pretend that 
uh, the Bible is kind of complete uh, utopic anarchy. It's uh, there's of course it's it's written by people who also have power to write stuff. And yeah. Yeah, but uh, the more we have to look at the parts where it's inverted or uh, somehow turned around. And let's let me see uh, what is could be the first. I think let's start in Old Testament. I think you named it uh, in our P talk, but uh, I think one of the first uh, hierarchies that is turned around is the story of Jacob and Esau. Mm -hmm. uh, Jacob is the one who's uh, born second, and uh, it's clear for everyone that he won't um, heritage the, all the things uh, his father has, but. Mm -hmm. He isn't satisfied with his role and this hierarchy. And uh, it's very interesting that he turns it around. And mm -hmm. if you try to look neutral on the story, he's not very as, um, a nice guy or something. Like he, no. Um, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, um, I mean, the way he treats his brother obviously causes him to, to have Like he has a bad conscience about it, and he he kind of yeah. knows that wasn't okay. But it's kind of he has he wants to break out of his the societal role that he's been given. And God is at least at, in this story, God is with him. He yeah he, yeah. he blesses his doing. And yeah. the first one is a story of uh, also injustice. Um, so where hierarchies are turned around, maybe it's not um, always very nice for those who are. Uh, on the top of the old of the old hierarchies, but um, mm -hmm. yeah, they they are turned around. We we can talk like, at the end of the episode. I will come back to that sentence because it was a very uh, good remark about losing privileges and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. I what I mentioned earlier also uh, uh, when we talked about Jacob was the way he deals with like his son, his son Joseph. At the end of Jacob's life, that when Joseph wants Jacob to bless, uh, like Jacob's grandchildren, Ephraim and Manasseh, and then he he kind of positions them in a way so that Jacob's right hand, like the, the good hand in, in like biblical terms, would go on the head of the eldest son. And Jacob Jacob is almost, I think, possibly offended by that. Like kind of, no, that's not how I do things. And he kind of crosses over his hands and puts his right hand on the youngest son because he kind of fruits for the underdog or he doesn't want to uh, reinforce the, the structure that he's been suffering from. And um, also with all the, the, the other children of, of Jacob, you have the second youngest son being the one who shines and who, who, has, who, who is the hero of his own, own chapter and his own story. And uh, it's not Reuben, it's not the eldest son, uh, but it's Joseph. Yes, I think if you move on, the the core narrative of uh, of Jewish people are, is a is a narrative where hierarchies are put upside down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the people who are oppressed by Egypt, which are like slaves, um, are chosen by God. Yeah, and uh, led to a new country. So. Um, And then the, the interesting part is after that. So when they, uh, in the narrative, when they reached Kana and um, 
settle there and have offended all their enemies. Mm -hmm. um, they have in mind to install themselves hierarchies. Yeah. They want to have a king and yeah. and and then uh, comes the <laughs> the part where God says, Ah, no, I don't think it's uh, it's it's good to have such a hierarchy. You have uh, so far it it was um, working without hierarchy, and why do you want it? And there's a very unknown but uh, nice story about it's a is it in, in English fable fable yeah yeah uh, about the trees who chose uh, choose their king, and they don't choose the the good trees, but they choose the uh, unkraut uh, or or a bush. They um like. Not vermin. That's for animals. Like, um, like stuff that grows on the ground, like floor level stuff. Yeah, something like a hedge or something like a very a tree which you wouldn't uh, choose. And uh, it shows that um, the belief, Jewish and Christian belief, is in in its core anti-hierarchic. Yeah, and um, I I really like the the part in Samuel one where. Um, It's basically, yeah, now we, we like, you, like you said, now we are an established nation among other nations. Now we want what other nations have too. So we kind of, now we're not suffering from this oppression anymore. Now we want the same. Uh, like, we want those oppressive systems. And, and um, like, is it Samuel that says, well, no, I'm, I'm your judge. I go from, from community to community, and this is kind of equal, and it works. Why, why do you need a status symbol of a king? This will, all, this will ruin everything. And, and God, God is the same with the temple. Like God is saying, I'm, I'm a tent dweller. I, 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 I don't need this. If you need a temple, fine, and I live in it. Yeah, yeah. But I don't, I don't need that. So kind of God is making concessions to God's people so that they are happy. So they have their nice, yeah, um, like kingdom and hierarchy. But but God doesn't actually need it. But the people need it. Yeah, He makes a con. He makes that concession mm -hmm. that they get their king, but uh, if it um, goes uh, to elect a king, uh, it's always not uh, the one who uh, you would ex expect. <laughs> They'd expect, mm -hmm. yeah. The first one is the is Saul, who's a donkey uh, farmer or something like that, mm -hmm. and uh, the second one is uh, David. The, mm -hmm. And I th I like very this, the the story of the election of of David where. All his brothers are brought uh, to Samuel, and mm. everyone thinks, "Ah, yes, it should be the oldest one." And uh, then he he looks at him and says, "Ah, no, it's it's not the one." Yeah. And the second oldest one, and uh, they uh, need a long time to to realize, "Ah, okay, it's the youngest one, uh, which we would never expect, and uh, who's not at the moment uh, very." Um, suitable uh, to to elect this king, but it's got God's will in that story, and uh, yeah, again, hierarchy is put upside down. Yeah, since we're in Samuel, uh, when kings fail, um, the the role of the hand of the living God is with the prophets. So you, the, the big role of the corrective of the prophets, yeah. with um, I think it's Second Samuel, where yeah, the, the famous story of. Uh, David abusing his power and abducting a woman and murdering her husband and then uh, Nathan the prophet kind of comes to him and says this was just this wasn't this was not okay and yes um, I like 
to imagine, I like to read most biblical prophets as autistic. This is something I will elaborate later, but autistic people have a way of, if something's wrong, if something's not not fair or not just or something, somebody got something wrong, we kind of, oh, I need to explain that. I need to go to that king now who is powerful and has has guards and is going to, like, has, the, has the power to chop my head off, but I need to just walk in there and tell that king that that caused some harm and you need to write that because that was wrong. And that feeling of my, my, my brain is so disturbed by this injustice or by this mistake that has been made that there's no room left to acknowledge the hierarchy that's here. So I, I just like to imagine all those prophets just kind of straight walking into the the throne chamber and standing in front of the king in their, their kind of basic working class clothes and just saying, I'm going to tell you something, it's really important, you made a mistake and you need to fix it. Yes. Ending either in the king being so offended that the prophet is kind of incarcerated or killed, or the king being so kind of relieved from that hierarchy too that the prophet can actually get through to the king. And um, Nathan, in, in the David story, he, he managed to get through to the king. And I think this idea of, oh, people in charge, they, they probably know what they do. Oh, just, just, it's the king, he probably, it's probably okay if he does it. That, that isn't a thought that works for the prophets. And it's also something that doesn't work for autistic people. Because um, there is no difference between the king did it or my neighbor did it. And also many autistic people have learned over and over again that people in charge actually don't know what they're doing. And, um, but to, to keep their power, like to keep the pretense of, of that their hi- hierarchical place is justified, they have to pretend to know what they're doing. And many autistic people kind of learn to see it through that. But I will um, elaborate later when I talk about ex- autistic experience more. Yes, and I think almost every uh, part in the Bible, every uh, text where a certain hierarchy is uh, given by God, mm-hmm. it's always a matter of order. Like also in the New Testament, if uh, in the later um, texts, the, there's a, there are some orders given, like there should be a bishop and uh, something like that. And uh, but it's not about power. Mm-hmm. These orders are not given that uh, someone has power um, to rule, but it's always a matter of uh, order that uh, life is working. And um, somebody has to do that job. Somebody has to yeah. to be in charge of that. And yeah. And so that um, when people start to cling to their power and start to be defensive about their position, it is often because they are disconnected from the job they're supposed to do and there's no justification for them being in that place. But when you, as you say, when you, when there is kind of a, uh, somebody is called to that, like, like Samuel, like he's called to be the prophet and to the judge. And he goes, he actually has a day, daily routine of I go to this city and that city and so on. And mm-hmm. I actually perform my role, my social role. It's not something that I'm sitting in a throne room somewhere and, and question, am I good enough to be here? But he performs this, um, yeah. his, his hierarchical role daily. 
And I think that's the tragic about uh, Saul, for example, that yeah. he was given that role as a king and uh, he loses uh, connection to, to his role, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we can move, to, uh, we already moved to New Testament, but... Yeah, you can, you can, you can uh, name the examples that you were planning for your sermon, ah. because they fit in nicely, I think. Yes, uh, I will preach, um, so we are recording on the day before um, the oh, Epiph Epiphanius in... Yeah, yeah. And tomorrow the the reading will be uh, the story of Matthew of Christmas and the three kings coming to worship little Jesus. And um, in the preparation, I noticed that there are five kings in that story. At least if you uh, mm -hmm. if you t take the king the the three uh, magicians as kings, but I think tradition has done it. So let's do it also. And uh, the first king is Herodes. Herod. Was it in English? Herod, yeah. Herod, Herod, and he is um, he is like the paradigm of uh, a king, which is like very human. He his reason to be king is that he was given the power, and he does everything to save that power. Um, so that's why he is able to do such cruel things as uh, murder all the the young. Uh, newborn babies mm -hmm. and also betray the three magicians and send them to baby so his his uh, way of being king is is through power and uh, then we have the three wise men which are often depicted as kings and their mm -hmm. um, mode of being king is like to have a special role through wisdom like everything they can do is uh, through wisdom they are very wise they can read the stars and have a lot of power through wisdom <laughs> but all this wisdom doesn't protect them from falling for the uh, for the simple trick of Herod mm -hmm. um, who sends them and says ah oh, please come back and tell me where's the Jesus mm -hmm. they don't but not because they they are wise and see that uh, trick but uh, because God comes to them yeah divine intervention yeah and and also they the first thing they do is they go to the palace that's their wisdom that's kind of their faulty wisdom to yeah. oh a baby king is born let's go to the palace and that's that's not that wisdom wasn't enough to yeah so yeah the four the first four kings they show us how human uh how human thinking works uh and is based on hierarchies and then we have the newborn king uh christ which is everything else than a king he is like mm -hmm. uh without protection he has no wisdom he has no power and even if he gets older he's not the one who has a lot of power of course he is the one who uh reigns over water and storm and everything but if it comes to to show the power like to defend himself and to save his power he is uh powerless he doesn't fight against the um the soldiers of the roman empire and he doesn't yeah. um rule powerful but he in the end he's very powerless and that's uh, I think a very nice uh, picture of how God imagines 
to be a king. Yeah. Powerlessness is not a danger to God's power. Yeah, actually, it, it is. It is the core of his being. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what Bible passage did you choose now? Uh, because we had so many. So were you choosing the one the the Philippa? Yeah, let's let's take that and um, that fits perfectly to that narrative that we just. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm reading from Philip Philippians two. Um, from five, verse 5 to 11. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him name the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, should bow in heaven and on earth and under the, the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can you uh, repeat that one sentence that... We talked about because the German phrase is always so like uh, "es war kein Rauch." What is the English phrase for that? Yeah, I think I think uh, at least as not a native speaker, the German version is uh, more impressive. Uh, in in English, uh, after the I think I read the new word, new English standard version. Uh, it's who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Mm, mm -hmm. I like the, that they were they use the word grasp because we talked about like holding on to power and grasping power and yeah. for like will like um, human kings or worldly kings that this is something so fragile and so um, so something they have to de defend with with uh, brutality and with meanness and with uh, aggression but that for um, for this God that this text talks about and for this king and for this this Christ. Um, there is no danger in stripping yeah. themselves from power, and actually, that the, the whole the 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 god likeness comes from losing that power. King James uh, is very close to the German one. King James says, "Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God." Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And. Uh, New International is also interesting. Uh, it's it's quite interesting how different the English versions are to the German. Uh, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, yeah. So there is no, there is no uh, the the things that we associate with power. They, they don't all don't happen here. This is no abuse of power. This is mm -hmm. kind of I can let go of power because. Um, yeah, this this idea that when God's whole nature is godlike, then there is no need to grasp power and mm -hmm. to cling to it like humans do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. The the passage that I'm going to read is um also uh, reading from the New International Version. It's from the Gospel of John, uh, John thirteen four to seventeen, and it is after the Last Supper. Um. 
and it is about the uh, washing of the feet. I start at four because I like the beginning, like what Jesus does before he pours the water because he changes clothes. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So, yeah, I, um, I think that, that those two passages are a nice conclusion to our kind of trip through biblical stories. Of course, there are like countless more. If you could read, you could read the whole Sermon of the Mount as an inversion of power and a um, inversion of hierarchical structures. Mm. But yeah, that those that is the content that we decided to um, use for this episode. Another passage that we also talked about was. What was the Galatians? Uh, Galatians chapter 3, um, verse 28. There's no, in, in Christ, there's no uh, man, no woman, nor Jew, no slave, no master. Um, That's, of course, a favorite uh, for the queer people and for the non binary people. With, yeah, you don't, um, like, 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 gender doesn't have to confine you anymore. Yes. Um, and then the other one that we also talked about was, um, you said it was Corinthians, yeah, it's, where it was about the roles that people play in, in, uh, the community. It's first Corinthians, uh, chapter 12, I think. Uh, uh, like a community is a body and a body needs all its parts and there is no hierarchy and not, if, if, if the hand doesn't do its job then what use it is. If the eye doesn't do its job, like a community is an organism and people play parts and people have roles and and none of the roles is better or worse than the other. Yeah, and we again are at that picture that um, um, structures and orders are um, meaningful 
if they help to life like uh, it's yeah. a body is not uh, helpful if it uh, consists only uh, of hands yeah we also need eyes and everything but yeah. uh, um, they they have a role to play but um, the, the we don't need a hierarchy yeah and um, something that we talked before we recorded and also in the recording that if there's a disconnect between the role you inhabit, like the, the nominal thing you, that you, that um, kind of you claim to be or is put on you, like title, like the king or the, 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 the bishop or anything, and the, the things you do, if there's a disconnect between the, the position of power you have and the responsibilities that you, that you kind of fulfill, then there, there might be the, the feeling that you have to defend your power position and that you have to cling to it and that you, you um, like we see with Saul, Saul is disconnected from his, his duties as a king and then he starts to, to fight for his, his position of power even though he doesn't, he, he, he isn't a king anymore because he doesn't what a king is supposed to do. And when people still cling to that title or to that position, that's when abuse of power and um, when, when all that starts to happen and when they, when, when you can, I think that you actually can also label kind of fragility. When your position, when your power position is empty, but you still cling to it. When your claim to power is invalid and you still claim it, then that's often linked with fragility and with, with extreme reactions and with um, aggression and, and abuse of power. And one thing that I've learned some years ago, it was in a TV show and it was the, I think Cambridge, not Oxford, but Cambridge professor Benjamin Zephaniah, um, who um, talked about anarchy because he considers himself an anarchist. And that anarchy, what I associated with anarchy was, was people in the streets throwing bricks and chaos and violence. And that, that is really unfair mm -hmm. because what anarchy in action actually means um, that you realize, okay, the people who are in the positions of power, the people who are in the positions of responsibility, they don't fulfill their responsibility, so I have to do it. Mm -hmm. So I have to organize. I have to take the power into my own hands. And the, the, the example, he was talking about the Grenfell um, Tower survivors. Mm -hmm. The tower in London, in Tower Hamlets, that burnt down because of um, governmental neglect. And the, the, the complete failure of the government, of the city, to provide the survivors with housing, with food, with anything. So what happened was the people knew that. That happened to them before in other situations. So they knew nobody's coming. We can't wait. We need somewhere to sleep. We need something to eat. We organize. So we need a church hall. We need somebody to provide food. So that, that was anarchy because the, the people who were in, in the position to help those people didn't fulfill that position. And so people did it themselves. And um, 
I think that happens very often in biblical stories. That I, I, I there was a was a post I reposted some a while ago. I can't remember who who said it, who wrote it, but it was if church people don't help the people in need, God will find others who do. And I think that's a really um, consistent biblical narrative that if the people who are supposed to do the right thing and supposed to care don't do that job, that God finds others who do. So I, I just thought that uh, the um, Protest, Protestant uh, way of um, thinking the, the service of a priest mm -hmm. or a pastor is uh, it's, uh, fitting very well. Mm -hmm. So we are not pastors because we think we have a divine power, uh, given a divine power, which divides us from everyone else, but um, pastors are pastors because they are given time to uh, read the Bible, to to prepare um, sermons, to mm -hmm. um, talk to people and uh, give uh, spiritual care. So um, it's it's not something. Uh, it's like very thought in the in the text of um, Corinthians um, that. Um, They have a role, but mm -hmm. it's uh, not something uh, which makes them more powerful um, to others. Yeah, not per se, yeah. but they have um, they have privileges to do the job they're supposed to do. Yeah, and um, I mean this is really linked to the, the reason I do this podcast because I didn't study theology, but so many of my friends are theologians, and I'm so unhappy in in mainstream church services uh, and then I turn to my theologian friends and ask them am I the only one not happy here and then I often hear no no nobody's happy that was a rubbish service we all know and I think why is nobody saying anything why is nobody like why why um why is nobody just getting up and saying no I've got a better servant here in my pocket I just I just take over from here it, that would be anarchy but That's not a real suggestion, but my my question is really, if if people if that's like even in even in the Protestant Church, there are hierarchical structures that really hinder um, community, and that where I think well let's kind of ignore them and go around them and do our own thing, and <clears throat> I I'm yeah. I'm really putting all my hope in, in, in you all <laughs> when you when you're in those positions that you will do a better job and I think you will. But I often get this feeling of I think I have stuff to say but I don't have the air quotes qualifications. I don't have a theological degree. I, do, I didn't go to seminary. I mm -hmm. um I don't I didn't grow up in the church. But still, I think I have something to contribute, and am I allowed to do that? That's how far those structures have infiltrated me. Like I don't feel competent in contribute for like for contributing, and so I feel like my way of doing that needs to be this podcast or needs to be stuff that I do aside from the hierarchical structures. Yes, and at the same time, we have to work on our church. That there's also a place in our church where non, where lay people can uh, find their place. Yeah, that's that's also kind of one thing where I think is that the autistic 
part of me that is kind of always thinking, why isn't anybody else saying something? Like the the um, Emperor's New Clothes story with the with the child being the only one that says something. Mm-hmm. The many autistic people have this feeling of I am the only one who is annoyed by this. I am the only one who feels this isn't for me. But then when you when you talk to other people, you find out everyone's annoyed by it, or most people are annoyed by it, or most people are kind of meh. This isn't. I'm really not. This isn't the best quality. Be it church services or school or download TV program, anything. But the autistic people are the ones that always get shamed when they speak up, and so it costs us real courage to to actually say, "Well, the emperor's got no clothes on," or "Well, this doesn't feel right." But the urge and the impulse is so strong and so um, overwhelming that we often do, and then we find out people are quite happy that we speak up. Not the people in power, but the people who are annoyed by the situation. They they just yeah. They're quite happy that somebody's changing something. And I think that's a really autistic thing to do, but it takes us so much energy and so much social uh, social spoons, social energy to, to, to do that, but we feel we don't have any choice. And I see that I see that in so many um, prophets to like the, the story of Amos. When Amos kind of realized not even in his own kingdom, but in the neighboring kingdom, something is going wrong. And he quits his job as a uh, like donkey breeder and a... What, what's the name for pricking the um, figs? I think it's uh, Maulbeeren, but I don't know the English word. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he basically just leaves everything and just travels and just has, has to do the thing now. And I really relate to that impulse and to that, that urge. And um, for many autistic people, hierarchies only make sense when, the, like, when they're legitimized by the outcome. When I have a really good teacher, shout out to my really good teacher, Mr. Fadaba, when I have a really good teacher um, that has competence and that has passion for the subject and that um, where I know, okay, this person knows so much more than I do and I need to listen to that person and that authority and that hierarchy is legitimized, then I can accept that. But when I feel like, oh man, I've, I've, read, I've read the chapter in the Spanish book and I know more than my teacher does now, then I can't accept the hierarchy anymore. And I think for autistic people, it is kind of this, you will know them by their fruits. Where is that? Do you know where? And even Früchten sollte ihr erkennen? Could also be John. That, that feeling of, just because you, because you have the title, doesn't convince me that you actually do the thing you're supposed to do when you have that title. And that brings many autistic people in quite a lot of trouble very often because when people have their authority challenged because they don't do the job, they often know that they don't do the job and they get defensive about it and they get, it's this fragility thing again and they they get aggressive and they cling to it even more. 
And autistic people don't challenge authority because we want to be mean or we want to be rebels or anything, but it's just that we, 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 we kind of, they failed us. The person in that hierarchical position has failed us because they don't provide the thing they're supposed to provide. And so we kind of don't acknowledge that position anymore. And that, yeah, that can cause some dangerous backlash. And many autistic people walk into situations like the prophets walk into the throne room and get in trouble for that. Yes, I, I think maybe for non-autistic people, it's maybe understandable if you if you have to be German, maybe. But if you look at the <laughs> politicians uh, on their acting during Corona crisis, mm -hmm. um, there were those who are in power. But many times you had to. Um, it, it seemed like they don't do what would be um, suitable to do as uh, those who are in power, and uh, a lot of trust. Uh, was lost in that mm -hmm. phase because there were people who uh, were the experts and yeah. which uh, were m much more uh, what's the word um, competent but uh, they weren't heard so maybe that's uh, at the moment uh, mm -hmm. a picture uh, how I imagine what autistic people maybe uh, feel every day yeah 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 that, that really yeah that fits and, and it's I think There are many autistic people who, who, who kind of also say, well, that person has that title, so that person must be right, and then kind of get really horribly disappointed because we really, we, we, we painfully realize often in our lives that that is not the case. And after a while, we get really wary of, we get really kind of suspicious of people um, just trusting powerful people just because they have the title, because we kind of, We collect that experience, those experiences and we see the pattern and we kind of, we shake off that, that faith in bureaucracy and structures and hierarchy quite early on because we get disappointed so often, especially when you're in the benefit system and in the, um, when, when, for example, when, when, you, when you start off applying for benefits, for, for social, for, for, for disability benefits or for money for your assistant workers or for like money from your um, insurance with this feeling of, well, that's why they're there. That's what they're there for. They're in this position and they have the expertise to provide me with the service I desperately need. And then you make the experiences that they don't know what they're doing. They um, have really contempt for you because you ask for something. They hide the fact that they don't know what they're doing by aggression and by um, threatening you with, with consequences. And they don't, they, they don't believe you when you say, I need this and that. And then you realize they don't actually know what they're doing. And I need to teach them. And I need to teach them in a way that doesn't make them mad and angry and doesn't kind of trigger their aggressions. And so at, the, at, at this point, uh, I'm really, I'm not expecting anything from, from, from any level of bureaucracy. I'm just trying to inform myself, and then I write emails with sentences that contain one information per sentence. I'm really patient, I'm really de-escalating, I'm really... 
appeasing and I try to educate people who have power over my life. And that, that, is, that is exhausting and that is um, that kind of invalidates their power, like theoretically, but they actually still have the power to deny me my, the money. So sorry, that was that was kind of a detour. That was a rant about our system, but yeah. No, but uh, yeah, I think uh, it fits very good to our topic. But I'm not sure what is the what is the um, perfect solution, which is the utopia which we are which we could have because I think for, for non-autistic people uh, hierarchies are something which gives security so if I her let's uh, stay in the uh, religious part if I hear a, a sermon on YouTube mm -hmm. and I see ah this one is a pastor which was trained in uh, state University I think ah, okay he's well trained and he knows how to do theology and if I if I hear a, a sermon of uh, a free church um, mm -hmm. where the pastor is uh, filled with Holy Spirit but has never uh, seen a, a university from inside I'm much more skeptical yes. so this yes. title helps me to distinguish uh, can I trust him and and I think but I understand totally I, I try to understand totally what uh, what is your point and I, I'm I have no solution like how we can uh, find a working system which is uh, supporting us and which help us to to orient or orientate us in in life and gives mm -hmm. security but is not um, how to say toxic let's say toxic yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that question is like as old as the Bible, like literally, I mean, that's what, what the stories that we talked about, how to ensure that the king isn't abusing his power. Um, but I think the thing that, like, autistic people also want stability and also want um, structure and they, they, they crave orientation and um, hierarchy if it, like, like this, this idea of a working hierarchy that would be so wonderful if you kind of always knew who to who to go to to, to ask for help or what what the system is and how it works. But the thing is that I think um, autistic people question a lot, and so we also question well if that person has this position to help people but doesn't help people, there must be something wrong. And I think that that's a very healthy thing to do. It doesn't, the person is still in charge, but I think the important thing, is, uh, at least for me, when, when I'm dealing with this kind of frustration of the person told me they can't help me, but it's their job to help me, is to not, to not, not to believe that I did something wrong. But to realize, ah, okay, I, I forgot the system is broken. Mm -hmm. So... I need to not let that diminish my self-esteem mm -hmm. and I need to be careful not to believe their narrative because their narrative doesn't make sense and their narrative only serves to help them ignore that they don't do their job right. So I must keep my, I must really be firm in, this is my experience, this is my pain, this is my uh, social situation. I need those things, 
And if somebody says, no, you don't need them, then <laughs> that, that, is not, that is not my truth, that isn't even their truth, that is just kind of a deflection, because they um, don't fulfill their responsibility. And that is not really an answer of how we deal with this, but this is basically my only way to deal with it at the moment. <laughs> and if I can, to find alternatives. If those like, official places, those hierarchical places who are supposed to help me, if they don't fulfill their job, I need to find, I need to make my own structures. I need to find my own help. And that is, like, that is the idea of anarchy, how I, how I understand it. And if the uh, student church community in Heidelberg, in my city, isn't providing church services and, um, yeah. and communion for the students, and we can't go through the official ways to change that, then let's make our own stuff. Let's subvert that. And that, that's, that's like the current situation we have in Heidelberg with ESG. And then we just need to, if, if they don't, if they are not able to organize talks and, and presentations and won't give platforms to people, to marginalized people, let's just make our own talks and make our own Zoom channel and that like before I waste any energy into dead channels that don't lead anywhere, I just do my own stuff. Yeah, I think it's a good uh, approach. It's, it's yeah, it's, <laughs> it's the only I have, but it's, it seems to be working. Sorry, help me guys out. Yeah, man hört den Schaden auf jeden Fall. Okay, so uh, if, if you hear like a wolf howling, that's my dog, and she's just bored and wants someone to play with her, and uh, it could take a while, so I hope it isn't too disruptive. And um, yeah, I, one thing I also want to bring into this uh, discussion is my experiences I've made with being dependent on uh, assistant workers. So it, it was a long fight to get the money. Um, it was really traumatic. Those um, those interviews and those examinations and those um, kind of being probed and being not believed and all that. And then I finally kind of got the money granted so I can pay people for 18 hours a week to help me with stuff. And that was kind of when one part of that whole challenge is over another part begins so the actual having assistance workers is its own really difficult challenge because you need to be really really honest with yourself you need to confront your fear of being dependent even though you've been dependent your whole life and didn't have any help you need to find out what you actually need and in what way you need it and what triggers you and what are your boundaries and all that and you need to be honest what you can what you actually can do because despite this cultural narrative of everybody's a bit lazy and everybody wants to be served and everybody wants to have uh, kind of have people have people st to do stuff for them that's that's actually not true We want to be autonomous, we want to be independent, and we want to do stuff ourselves. And when you're in pain all the time, and when doing something causes you pain, you have to be really, really honest. Can I actually 
uh, kind of get that thing from the shelf myself or do I need to ask an assistant worker and do I need to wait until they come two hours later and that is really difficult because you need to be vulnerable and honest and accept your your dependence and your powerlessness and your um, frailty and it also means I'm not just the person getting help at the same time I'm the boss of people so I need to hire them I need to tell them what to do I need to give them money I need to tell them when to come when to go and they depend on me to tell them that so they can do stuff that I can depend on so it's really really an intricate relationship and that has to kind of pressure form <laughs> I'm really surprised that it worked so well because it's actually kind of forming really complicated relationships with people I didn't know before in a really short time and concerning things that are really personal and really private and connected with trauma and easy to trigger and stuff and usually in society you have dynamics that are I'm the boss, you're the employee I have power over you and then you have the I am the carer, you are the, the person who needs care, I have power over you. And those, both those of those hierarchies are healthy. And having, being in this, this position of being the employer of assistant workers and being dependent on assistant workers subverts both those dynamics and both those hierarchies because it makes clear this is a relationship. This needs, this needs communication and honesty and vulnerability and, and getting used to each other. And it is basically this whole body of community like melted into what this is two people. Two people need to be, I need to be the I for the assistant worker's hand to lead my other hand or something. It, it's really, it's really intricate and it's really difficult to, to maneuver and I think as difficult as it is we need more of those kind of dynamics to subvert those toxic dynamics that we have in society that if you if you hire people you have power over them and they depend on you and if you um, if you're vulnerable and need care that those carers have power over you that those those dynamics are toxic and they need to be subverted. And I think that needs to happen more and in more areas. I have just a systematic theological thought. Mm -hmm. If you think community like you do, like in a community, it's important to be dependent on each other. If you imagine community with God, mm -hmm. then it's more or less logical that God is dependent on us. Yeah. If not, if not, we can't have community with him. That is a... I think there are many, um, like over the centuries, there are many Jewish uh, discussions about exactly that topic. Yeah, yeah, also in, in Christian theology as well, yes. I think when you, when you, kind of when you take the perspective of the humans being creatures and God being creator, then it's quite a... Um, yeah, that the rules are quite um, kind of set. So we are the made thing and God is the making thing. 
But I, I think what's the conclusion that is not um, like in the biblical spirit it has, is that one is the better position. Mm-hmm. And for example, the, the passage that we read about Jesus, Jesus said, you call me teacher and Lord, and quite rightly so, because that is what I am. So Jesus doesn't say, um, I have nothing to teach you, but he says, there is no hierarchy here. I think that is the important thing, that, that God can, can we, we, we can't even imagine God as not needing us. I think those who, who defend a God who is uh, independent of humans uh, do it because mm-hmm. um, the danger is uh, that God loses his uh, almightiness. But God chooses to, to strip yeah. God's self of all the almightiness. By, like, that's the whole Christianity narrative. Like, it's the whole Christian narrative. That's the whole thing. That we, that the thing that we associate with almightiness or with all, like, almighty God can be sometimes really toxic. And we need to um, kind of check, like, check that always with the, with the Christian narrative of God being powerless and God not caring that God is powerless, that it's no danger to God to be powerless, but it's a danger to many people who believe in God to imagine God powerless. And we have to take that fear serious because I think what is behind that fear is that the the almightiness of God is something which uh, gives security, again, security. Yeah, yeah. That someone, there's someone who has everything in his hand who and and i can't say that i don't have that thoughts uh, that there is someone who who knows everything and uh, no matter what happens it's god's will and he has a good plan for everyone i think uh, it, it gives gives hope for many people and uh, we have to see how we can integrate that thoughts and to a, a picture of a god who is not Almighty, uh, and I think the whole Bible is full of stories where that narrative isn't consistent. Because often, um, like like the passage that we read, for God it is so omnipresent to be powerful. Like for God, it is not it is not a question. God is the underlying thing of the whole universe. God isn't a king that has to defend his tr- throne. Mm-hmm. But kind of for God, it's so natural to be powerful that there's no danger in being powerless. Mm. And I think for me, um, like, I don't know how you, all of my listeners, um, are dealing with those questions of God having a plan. I don't think that this plan has to, to look like we, we kind of, oh, this, this horrible thing happened, so this, that this good thing could happen. I don't, that is not how, that doesn't work for me. But what works for me is the idea that God's rules apply always and without anyone needing to push them or without anyone needing to enforce them. They are just true. If you are connected with with your community, if you serve others, they will serve you. If like all, all the things that the Bible promises, there are things that are going to happen but they are actually, they are already true. Human nature not believing that or being fearful or being anxious or wanting to control stuff makes them seem to be untrue, get stuff 
um, kind of chaotic and, 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 and out of order, but kind of that God is almighty and God is almighty in a way that nobody needs to defend God's might. And if you feel you must defend God's might, that is a reflection on you. That's like building the temple. God says, I don't need a temple. But obviously it gives you security. It gives you a feeling of properness. So I will live in the temple. And I think that is similar, that we need that. On the other hand, um, I, there was an episode I did with Avery about... Um, it was the first one that Avery and I did. We talked about um, God needing us in in a way that isn't isn't kind of dependent on nothing bad would happen to God if we weren't there. But it's kind of a, a love dependency, and God accommodates our ways of of communication to talk to us. God takes forms that we can understand. God agrees to a temple. God um, comes on earth to be human, to be with us. That's the way God needs us. God creates humans. God creates the universe because God needs us in, in this way, but not in a way of God needs subjects to be powerful, but, but kind of in, in a... Losing power is nothing that could even occur to God like in, in, in this way because it's not in God's nature. Yeah. I think as uh, God is defined through his power, God, God's nature is to be powerful. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, his nature is to be a community guy. Yeah. It is his nature to live in community. Yeah. So yeah. it's not something of uh, need or not to need, but it's, yeah, yeah as I said, it's, it's his nature, yeah. I, the, the, the thing that we were, that Avery and I were also quoting where was the passage of Elijah meeting God and this beautiful lit passage of literature that subverts, like that, 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 that uses the uh, assumptions of the reader and subverts them mm. by saying, and Elijah waited to meet God, and there was a roaring thunder, and there was, and every time it's, but God wasn't in thunder, God wasn't in that and that. And then there was this, this, this quiet whisper, and God was in that. And to, to know, like, the, 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 the person writing that saying, folks, I know what you expect God to be. I know what you expect power to be, but nah, nah, that's not, that's not how, how, God presents themselves is, is in the whisper and you need to address your assumptions, you need to think about your assumptions about God, that's why I love that passage so much mm, Yeah, I, I, it's one of my favorite passages too I feel like I have talked way too much and I've given you again, way too little room to talk Oh no, I, I don't think so, I think uh, we, we had a good talk and it was inspiring for me, as you see, like uh, your um, little speech <laughs> about uh, dependency as uh, as a crown of the nature of community, as a nature of community, mm -hmm. uh, made me think about uh, of, of God's nature. So I think uh, you did a good job. 
and I'm glad that I did that I did my job. And I um yeah, I always I always just imagining that yeah, I said it in another episode, that God creating stuff is just God differentiating God self mm-hmm. into now it's not just one uh kind of one whole God thing that's kind of quite boring, but it's a community. It's it's a it's an organism. It's um it's hand and eye and mouth or it's um it's a community of baker and preacher and teacher and child like like the that that is the differentiation that happens in creation but it's because it's still one creator it's all it it needs to it, it is interdependent it it needs to stay connected and um, I like I like that idea a lot. Like you, you kind of summarizing it with um, God's nature is dependence and community. And I just remembered I wanted to address something that you said at the beginning about when you talked about Esau and Jacob that it might be unpleasant to lose your your position. Yeah. And um, I think that is why it is so difficult for people to address their privileges because uh, they feel that they are losing something. But I think what they don't see is that they've already lost something. They they already lost connection. When I'm hurting someone and that person tells me you're hurting me and I am offended because now I have to look out for you and your feelings, what I don't see is oh, wow, I wasn't connected to you, so I didn't realize I'm hurting you. I had already lost something, and now I have the chance to gain something and to reconnect and to, to, have, my, to have my senses reconnected to your needs and to your pain. And that isn't a loss. That isn't a loss of privileges. That is actually kind of using, living into your privileges and, and, and using them. And so Esau... And, and Isaac, they didn't have any connection to Jacob. They didn't feel his pain. They didn't feel what was going on. And so when he, he did what he did, which was a bit shitty, but mm-hmm. he, he disconnected completely from them. But then when they reunited, it was kind of clear, like the gain was, was way greater to, to be reconnected with each other and to be aware of each other's needs. And so it might it might feel dangerous to have your hierarchical position challenged or have your privileges challenged, but you gain so much more by reconnecting with the people who challenge your authority. Yes, and the good thing is in the Jacob and Esau story, uh, it, it's really a gain for both because when they see each other again, they are both wealthy and to have uh, families yeah. and they seem to be very happy so yeah. um, the questioning of, of hierarchies didn't harm them but uh, it was for their best and they run to each other yes. to embrace each other so yeah so um, what topic shall we talk about next time any suggestions I think I have to think about it but I'm quite sure you have already something in mind I need to find my list. I have a list somewhere and I need to find it. 
And there are some topics I want to talk about with specific people because I find it really fun to, to, to have, uh, yeah, to think of a topic and think of a person. Oh, that's a topic for that person. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, whenever you have an idea, just tell me and we, we can make a topic out of it. Sure. And it's always great to do a podcast with you. And it's always, I always feel like I, I talk too much and giving you too little space. But if, if you feel it's okay, then, then I'm relieved. I'm, I'm very fine. And I'm always happy to be your guest. And I'm happy if uh, I can listen sometimes also. And I, and I don't have the feeling that I talk to less, but uh, I, I said those things which I wanted to say. And um, yeah. That's, a, that's like everything we talked about is kind of somebody it's also nice to listen it's, it's really it really fits to the to the things we talked about yeah. um, sometimes you can you can you can just sit there and be the person talk to yes exactly that's that's a nice that's a nice conclusion so uh thank you felix for being my guest again thank you to all my listeners i hope you had fun and again if anyone wants to uh be my guest here or have a topic that uh, I should talk about, P- please feel free to, to contact me and to suggest something. And uh, yeah, talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.